We're going to talk a little bit about uh, God's global mission this morning from Psalm 67. A great psalm with emphasis on that. It's interesting to find a psalm kind of devoted um, to God's mission, devoted to the global purpose of God, um, a psalm that is sort of a prayer we're going to see this morning. It is a prayer, uh, but at the same time, it's a psalm, so it's like a prayerful song, and many of our songs we sing are like prayerful songs, and so we tend to think of God, mission, evangelism, missions. If you were to compare it to subjects in school and things of that nature, we think of it like math in the church usually. Um, it's hard. Um, it's not for everybody. It's not really fun, and everybody always, you know, it, it's not really for me kind of thing. Uh, God would never call me to do that. I'm not really comfortable sharing my faith. God would never call me to go there. And so we kind of tend to think of it like math. I didn't like math in school, and most people don't, and I know some of you do, and <laughs> call you nerds, but, but God loves you too. God loves you too. And, um, but, but the truth is uh, we need to think about missions in the church more like music. Everybody likes music. Now, everybody don't like the same music, and I know that. We're not going to get off on that track this morning. But everybody like. I've never met anybody who say what kind of music they like, and they say none. Now, they might have a different style of music they like than I do, but everybody likes music to some degree. Music is for everybody, and it's expressed differently in all kinds of different ways. But music is fun. It's exciting. Everybody has It's not. We don't really think of it like work. We think of math kind of like work, and we need to think of missions more like music and less like math. It's supposed to be fun. It's the exciting part. It's all exciting, but it's the exciting part of the Christian life that we should want to participate in. Missions is for everybody. It's not to, supposed to be dreaded. It's supposed to be something that grabs our heart, something that we sing about, something that we participate in. And this morning, we're diving into this psalm in Psalm 67, all about God's mission, this prayerful song. <laughs> this psalm addresses one key important truth this morning. And that is the link between God's work in your life and my life and our corporate life and God's work in the world at large. And what we're going to see is this psalm is going to tell us that there is a direct link through what, into what God does in your life, if you're a believer this morning, and what his purpose is globally in the world. So look with me at Psalm 67, verses 1 through 7. Psalm 67, verses 1 through 7. The psalmist writes, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Well, this psalm, like I said, is making a very clear point. It begins and ends with this. <laughs> there is a very clear connection between God's work in the lives of the people of God and God's work and those in the world and connecting them with the people that don't know God. And so what you see kind of, if you could just sum up, up verses 1 through 7, a big idea that you see at play here is that as God's people, we are blessed to bless. God blesses his people in order to bless other people. God's blessing, his work, his favor, his saving us, providing for us, all those things in our lives is about more than just us and our happiness. It has a grander purpose in God's grand plan. God very much intends to use his people to reach the people all over the world with the gospel. 
So God blesses his people for the sake of spreading the knowledge of himself to all peoples. God's people are blessed to bless. That's the big idea of Psalm 67. And so as we examine this psalm together this morning, I want us to do it by asking three questions, okay? So we're going to ask the three questions as we go. And here's the first question I want us to ask ourselves and kind of just walk through this psalm together. Question number one, are we, in fact, you and I, or you can make it more personal, am I a recipient of God's gracious blessing, right? He prays here, the psalmist does, this corporate prayer for the people of God, of, for Israel, because this is in the Old Testament, right? May God be gracious to us and bless us. And so I'm asking the question, you and I, some thousands of years later, has God been gracious to us and blessed us? Are we recipients of that? You know, let's pause and even ask another question before we get into that. Is, that, is, that, is this an okay prayer to pray? Well, I think as God's people, what we're going to see here is that God very much intends to be gracious to and to bless his people. This psalm begins with a request here for this. That's an okay thing to pray. In fact, it's actually rooted, it's rooted in the scriptures. When, when Israel was praying this, when the psalmist wrote this, he was rooting Psalm 67 in other scriptures that God had given them. Let me read to you from number 6. Number 6, 24 through 26. This is the blessing, the priestly blessing that God gave Moses to give to Aaron, who was the first priest, right, to say over the people of God. Number 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Does that sound familiar? Sure, it's, rooted, it's connected right here in Psalm 67, which was written later. So it was God's will to bless his people Israel, and the priests were the mediators of that blessing, okay? They were the one to, to speak that blessing over the people of God was the priest, and Aaron was the first priest, and so <coughs> they are Aaron would say this blessing over them, and so he represented, as the priest, kind of standing between the people and God, he was mediating that blessing over the people. Now, this blessing is also rooted somewhere else in the Old Testament. It's rooted even further back, the number 6, 24 through 26, with Moses and Aaron. It's rooted all the way back to God's original call of his people, to the first person of his people, Abraham. And, or Abram as he was known then in Genesis 12. Listen to Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3. God says to Abraham, And I will make you, of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in God's very initial call of Abraham, it is... <coughs> in Abraham, like it says, who we get is from where we get Israel, God's people in the Old Testament. The promise to Abraham was to make him not simply a great person, but to make him a great nation. And the request of this psalm is rooted in a desire and promise of God, right, that he would bless his people so that they would then be a blessing to the nation. So all the way back with the founding of his people, right, was this idea that God was going to bless his people, but there was a purpose in that, that they would be a blessing to others. So you get in Numbers, they're, they're the, the, priestly, um, the priestly prayer being spoken over the people. And then you get over here in Psalm 67, you see that this prayer that they would pray and that the psalmist writes for us is deeply rooted in God's purposes, God's desires, and God's design for his people. Now, in our language today, blessing is a very common word, right? Um, if you're a social media user, you know the big thing a few years ago was, you know, the hashtag blessed, right? You know, I, you know, it was kind of usually a way to do like what we call a humble brag. 
right? And so, uh, which means, you know, you try to sound humble, but really you're bragging about yourself, and then you put hashtag blessed. But in our culture, where whenever good things happen, people talk about how blessed we are, right? It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they believe in God or not, it doesn't seem like. We just talk about being, who blessed you, right? We talk about being blessed. So it doesn't matter if it's a, an athlete receiving an award, and he talks about, I'm just blessed to have this ability, or when the Country Music Awards has their award show once a month, and they get up and talk about how blessed they are to receive, to receive their gifts and talents and all that sort of stuff. So it's just common language. So we kind of get it. But what, is, what does the Bible mean here when it talks about blessing? Notice it's rooted in God's grace. The gracious nature of God. May God be gracious to us and bless us. The psalmist is asking here for God's approval. And when he says, when he says your face shine upon us, the approval and protection of God on his people. He's saying here, I want God to take pleasure in his people, to provide for his people, to protect his people, to prosper his people. He's saying all those things when he says, I want God to bless his people. And notice the purpose, though, of the blessing, that God's way would be known on the earth, that his saving power would be known among all the nations. <coughs> Excuse me, once again, it's rooted to the call of Abraham and God's blessing and promise to him to make him a great nation, that he'd be a blessing to all the nations. God's plan for Israel was always that they would be a vehicle for reaching the nations. And God's blessing was never sent, meant to be for them alone. Now, Israel failed in many ways to steward the blessing of God as well as they should have. But this prayer was still fulfilled because God and his sovereignty has fulfilled this prayer in Christ, who is the ultimate fulfillment of this. Israel failed to be a lot to the nations that they were called to be. However, God still fulfilled it through Jesus, the ultimate light to the nations. And it is through Israel, right? We, Abraham, Israel, Israel, Jesus, okay, the Messiah. And it is through Jesus that all nations of the earth are ultimately will find their blessing. Remember, the priests were the ones who mediate the blessing of God in the Old Testament. That's what we said, right? Aaron was the one. He, he was given this blessing to say over the people, representing the mediator there over the people. And Jesus now, we come to the New Testament, and the Messiah is born, the one who was ultimately promised to come through so that they could be that blessing to the nations. Jesus is our high priest, the Bible teaches us, who mediates the blessing of God to you and me. Listen to Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest, this is New Testament now, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Hebrews 5, 9, chapter later. And being made perfect, he's still on this high priestly kick here. He says, and being made perfect, he, our high priest, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, okay? So Jesus is the great high priest, the ultimate high priest who blesses us with eternal salvation, who showers us with mercy and grace in our time of need. He is the mediator between us and God. He is the source of our greatest blessings from God. Now they prayed for God's blessing in anticipation of the coming Christ. We now live in a new day, right? Christ has come. We live on the other side of his coming, the other side of his first advent as we wait the second advent. And in Christ, we've already received the greatest blessing, okay? And basically, we have, the Bible teaches us that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that all the promises of God find their yes in who? In Jesus. But notice the blessing of God was always intended to be bigger than Israel, bigger than God's people. It's bigger than you and me too. 
The purpose of the blessing was that God's ways and saving power be known among all the nations. And that has not changed in the New Testament. God blesses his people so that they may be a blessing. It's always been that way. Adam and Eve were created and told to what? Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. To be a blessing to the earth. Abraham was blessed that the nations might be blessed. It's always been in God's design that his people be a blessing and steward the blessing they've been given well. And as the new covenant people of God, as the church, we too are blessed to bless. Blessed in Christ to be blessing to the nations. Now, you and me, if you're a Christian today, we are here today because God answered that prayer. Think about that. The only reason you're a Christian today is because the gospel is spreading to the nations. Because it got outside of Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria. And it got out to the ends. It's going out to the ends of the earth. The only reason is because of that. We are a part of the nations that the psalmist is praying for when he says, let the nations be glad. And so if you're a Gentile today, that means a non-Jew, and you love Jesus, you should be glad that this prayer has been answered in you through Christ. But there's more. There's more. This prayer is still being answered. So to answer our question, yes, church, you and I are recipients of God's gracious blessing. God's blessing, though, is not meant to stop with us. It's meant to move through us. It's meant, it's meant to move us to be a blessing to others. We are blessed to bless. And our desire should be that all nations know his ways and know his saving power. If we know his ways and we know his saving power. It comes with a responsibility of stewardship. Only we can decide, though, how we're going to steward God's blessing in our lives. So let me ask a second question. Second question is this. Do we desire that God be worshipped among the nations? I read this psalm and I can't help but we have to think we have to ask that because it's very clear that in the Old Testament when this psalm is written, this psalmist was desiring this. God was desiring this. God is urging his people to desire this. So we have to ask introspectively as individuals and corporately as a body, do we desire that God be worshipped among the nations? Look at verses 3 through 6 there. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let them be glad and sing for joy. You judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations upon the earth. Let them praise you. Let all the peoples praise you, right? That's a prayer. It's a request. God, may this be so. It's all about the desire they have to see the nations know God, to know his ways, to know his saving power. It's to come to know him. To know his saving power, to know his ways, is to come to know him, to forsake idols and to turn to him to become worshipers of the one true God. Now, the people of God are supposed to desire God to be worshipped among the nations. We're, we're supposed to be hardwired for it. It's supposed to be part of the new heart we have in Christ Jesus. Right? As we've already seen, Genesis 12 onward, the promise was to extend to all nations. God, God's heart has always been to be worshipped by all nations, and so as the people of God, we're supposed to share God's heart. That's supposed to be the deal. In fact, in Revelation, we get a view of heaven around the throne of God and get a better picture of not only God's heart, but God's plan. Listen to Revelation 7, 9 and 10. A picture of heaven around the throne of God. In Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold, John writes, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. 
That means that phrase, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Best I can tell, either we're all going to have some new language in heaven or there's going to be a whole lot of languages declaring that in heaven. And by the way, English will not be the dominant language. I can pretty much tell you statistically and promise you that we're going to be way outnumbered as an English-speaking people in heaven. Notice what this worship looks like in Psalm 67. What God desires from the nations. I say it's what God desires because this prayer is, like we said, it's rooted in the scriptures. <clears throat> what does God desire? Well, notice how, how he pictures it. First of all, you see a picture of praise. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That word praise means is the idea of extolling the greatness of God. He's praying that all peoples, all nations, all Gentiles will praise, will extol the greatness of God, will declare how great and glorious and good and all those things that God is. Because you can't really worship God without recognizing and extolling who he is. And if you know him, you can't help but extol who he is. And praise is the natural outgrowth of knowing God's ways and experiencing saving power. But not only that, you see a picture of joy. Look at verse 4. Let the nations be glad. Let them sing for joy. The worship is joyful worships. Worship. The, the, the nations are supposed to find their supreme joy in God, to be glad in God because of who God is, right? Let them sing for joy. Let them be glad in you. Why? For you judge the peoples with equity and God the nations upon the earth. It's rooted in the very nature of God and who he is. He judges people with equity, with fairness. He's a just, fair, good judge. He guides the nations upon the earth. He's a ruler, a king. He directs the affairs of men. But this psalm, I believe, seems to be pointing, looking ahead to the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ over the nations. And in a world full of injustice and tyranny and dictators, there is a God who is just and who sovereignly rules. And there is coming a day when his son Jesus will expel all injustice. And justice will come to the earth. And all of his enemies will be put under his feet. To know that God, to know that God, he's saying, should cause us to well up with joy and with gladness when the nations can experience that leadership of being led by the Lord Jesus Christ. How can they not be glad and sing for joy? Worship's supposed to be joyful. Knowing God's supposed to be joyful. Our supreme joy is supposed to be found in Him. Not only that, though, almost seems contradictory to our nature. But the other picture of this worship is fear, right? Praise, joy, and then fear. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. We've seen this a lot as we studied Proverbs together. It's to revere God, to revere his word, not to treat him like the boogeyman. It's a deep respect that causes you to tremble in his presence. A high reverence that just causes you to crumble before him in humility, to esteem him. To treat him as his word deserve, and him and his word as they deserve. To treat God like he's God. To submit to him, to obey him. And the prayer was that the nations would recognize who God is and treat him like God. To recognize what his word is and to treat it like it's the word of God. So we see this, that's a picture of worship that God is desiring among the nations. Praise and joy and fear and all of this paints a very vivid picture of the worship. That God desires. God wants to be worshipped. He wants to be worshipped. He desires to be worshipped. If that sounds weird to you, we need to get in the Bible a little more. I can tell you from Genesis to Revelation, it is rich with God saying, I want to be worshipped. I should be worshipped. 
What's the first of the Ten Commandments? Exodus 23. God wants to be worshipped, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Before me. Jesus comes along in John 4. And we love the verse, right? We love the interaction with the woman at the well. That's the story. Jesus comes, he finds this woman at the well and, and ministers to her. What does he say? He says, God is seeking worshipers, he says in that passage. Those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God is seeking such worship. The Father is seeking worshipers. And then here in Psalm 67, we see his people should have the same desire to see him worshiped among the nations. When we think about the grace of God and the blessing of God in my life and in your life and our corporate lives, when we think about his reign, his rule, his justice, his grace, all the things this text points us to, it should make our hearts swell in worship. Because if we know him, we should worship him because we know he's worthy of worship. But this psalm is going way further than that. It's going way further than your personal worship. The people of God are desiring here to see others worship him as they do. To see others find their joy in him just as they do. So just as much as you should say, oh man, I love going to church and worshiping and singing or riding along in my car and singing and worshiping and praying. God's saying you're also supposed to have a desire for other people who don't know God to worship him as you do. See, we tend to be great evangelists for the stuff we like, right? When something really makes us happy and joyful, we tend to be really good evangelists for that, right? So whether it's like, oh, I ate this restaurant. Oh, you've got to try that restaurant. Can't believe you haven't tried that restaurant. I can't believe you've never been to this place. Oh, man, you've got to go there. You've got to do this. Oh, you haven't seen that show? You've got to watch that show. I can be a great evangelist for stuff like that. Oh, you've got to see that movie. You've got to watch that show. You've got to binge watch it. You've got to read that book. You've got you to try this place. We all can be that. And we've all got people in our lives, right, that we'll... we'll we will go do things just because they say to because they sell us on it so much because they're such good evangelists for whatever it is that's brought them so much joy. If we've experienced the kind of worship that is brought to the nations here through knowing God in Psalm 67, we're supposed to be one of those nations as the, as the church. We're supposed to be those people who are glad and seen for joy, who, who find our deepest joy in God. How much more? Should we desire that the nations taste and see that the Lord is good when we've experienced that, when we desire for people to experience all kinds of other things that are just meaningless, really, in the grand scheme of things? How much better evangelists should we be for God as we are for our favorite shops and restaurants and shows and books and entertainment? How much more? Should we desire that those who haven't heard the name of Jesus bow their knee to him if we've bowed ours and experienced his grace and forgiveness? We chiefly desire for God to be worshipped among the nations for one simple reason, because he and he alone is worthy to be worshipped. And as believers, we get that. That Jesus Christ is worthy of every person in this city. Every neighbor on your street... Every person in your school, every person in your workplace, every person in Baldwin Park in Orlando, every person in Guam or Vietnam or Mexico or China or Alaska or Canada or Miami or Birmingham. We just go around the world, right? Russia, Japan, Tokyo, 
You name it. Every person, wherever they're at, you find some unreached people group that's never heard about God. They've never heard about Jesus, let's say. They've never heard the gospel. And you say, is God worthy of their worship? The gospel hasn't gotten it. Yes, he's worthy of their worship. Because he's written, the not, he's written his existence in the skies and in the trees and in those things many times that they may even worship, just like we tend to worship things, creation instead of the creator. We believe God is worthy to be worshipped, that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. In fact, in Revelation 4.11, we get a, here's another scene in the throne room of God. It says, worthy are you. These are what these angels are saying. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. From the very fact that God is creator and he made you and he made me and he made every person that's in existence today or ever has been, he is worthy of worship. If he, didn't, if, he didn't, if he hadn't done anything else, if he didn't do anything else but just create, he's worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. And he's done so much more. Do we believe God is worthy of the worship of every tribe and every tongue and every nation? That people who have not heard of him should worship him? Do we believe that? Well, number three. Third question we need to ask is, will we leverage the blessing of God for the sake of his praise among all peoples? Will you and I leverage the blessing of God for the sake of his praise among all peoples? It's the really begging to be asked as we read this psalm. If ultimately this text is about God's people seeking his blessing so that the nations might know him, and if that has always been God's plan, the question is, are we willing to join God in his plan? Over 2 billion people in the world live in an area with virtually no exposure to the gospel. Think about that. 2 billion people. 2 billion people out of roughly, what, 7 billion? Live in a, what they call a virtually no exposure area. Little to zero gospel presence at all. Let me give you another stat. 81% of Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindu, do not personally know a Christ follower. Man, it's really hard to hear the gospel if you don't know a Christ follower. You say, well, I've got a Muslim neighbor I know. Praise be to God. You mean I shouldn't be weirded out by that? No, you should get on your knees and thank God that you know one of the 19% that has a chance to hear the gospel from the lips of a Christian. What a stewardship God has given you. But a lot of Christians are afraid of the very people Jesus wants them to reach. 81% do not know a Christ follower. A lot of them live in those places where there's no gospel presence is the reason. Just saw a video at the beginning of the service of how God brought somebody here from another country and then now they're being sent back out to their country to be a missionary. Wow, if we... If we reach the, the Buddhist and the Hindu and the Muslims and the other religions that exist in our city and in our, in our nation, think of the missional presence that could create all over the world as the world comes to us. Will we leverage our blessed lives for the sake of his praise among the nations? In light of this text, there's three very basic ways we can do this. <clears throat> First, we need to joyfully live for the praise of his name. Remember, we're here because this prayer has been and is being answered. God's way is being made known. Someone carried the name of Christ to us, and we believed the gospel. 
We are of the nations and peoples the psalmist is praying for, to be glad in, to fear him. That's us. And if we can't worship, we'll never leverage our lives for others to worship. If you and I don't find God beautiful, if he's not our supreme joy, if he doesn't make our hearts swell with praise, then we'll never be moved to see others reach for the sake of his name because his name just won't be that big of a deal to us. Do we praise and extol his name? Are we glad in him? Do we fear him? You cannot export what has not been imported. You can't give away what you don't have. You can't share what's not really yours. You can just tell from the mood of this psalm, it was written from the viewpoint of someone that worshiped that way, who lived for the praise of his name. And if we want to learn to leverage our lives and God's blessing in our lives for the sake of his name among the nations, it starts with throwing ourselves into the worship of God. It starts with enjoying him ourselves. It starts with finding our greatest treasure in him and leveraging our life, just pouring our whole life towards him. This week, David Cassidy, best known for his role on the Partridge family. If you're under 40, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, okay, like, he's like the 70s Justin Bieber or something. Um, but he was, he was like a pop idol, okay? He was the guy that, on like the front of like, what was it, Tiger Beat or Teen Beat or whatever it was called. Yeah, I mean, he was that guy, right? Very popular TV show, David Cassidy. He passed away... Sadly, this, this weekend, his daughter reported his last words. Four words. So much wasted time. So much wasted time. Time is short. Life is short. If we want our lives to count, joyfully live for the praise of his name. So we need to joyfully live for the praise of his name. Number two. Second thing we need to do if we're going to leverage the blessings God's placed in our life for the sake of his name, we need to see all blessings connected to God's greater purpose. We've got to discipline ourselves. We don't like that word. We've got to discipline ourselves to see all the blessings in our life as connected to the greater purpose of God. As people who are in Christ, <coughs> they're in Christ this morning, you're blessed. The message of salvation was never meant to stop with us, but to spread through us. That should be hard to wrap our head around, right? However, they saw, God's, they saw God's blessing in general as part of his greater purpose to reach people. Not just the stuff that we call spiritual. Look at the end of the psalm, verses 6 and 7. The earth shall yield its increase. God our God shall bless us. What they're celebrating is the harvest. A very physical thing. Not a spiritual harvest. The physical harvest. They're saying the earth is, ha, shall yield its increase. They're looking in hope to the harvest they're going to receive. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. And then when he says let all the ends of the earth fear him, it's meaning so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. They saw even the physical blessings as connected to the spiritual need and blessing of the nations. And we need to see all of God's blessing in our lives as connected to his greater purpose. I love being a parent. Great blessing. But if I disconnect it from God's greater purpose, I might achieve raising a polite kid. Maybe not, but I might. Might achieve raising a well-behaved kid. 
might achieve raising a moral kid, a church kid, preacher's kid. We might even achieve raising a kid with a talent in some areas, successful children. But maybe not a disciple. Maybe not a disciple of the Lord Jesus. If I disconnect that blessing from God's greater purpose in my life. God has a bigger purpose in the world than simply our personal happiness. We can't disconnect our jobs and our, and our passions for our hobbies and all these other things from God's greater purpose that the nations would be glad in him. Even our monetary blessings are bigger than us. We're some of the most blessed people in the history of the world when we talk about financially. Think about that. It's a big world. It's been around a long time. And we're some of the most financially blessed, not just now, but ever. Shouldn't we leverage our income in some way to make disciples? If we really say that it's all God's, shouldn't it be stewarded in a way that says it's all God's? To provide for our families? Absolutely. But shouldn't it be used to advance God's kingdom as well? Shouldn't it be connected to his very purpose on the earth for us? We've got to see all the blessings God's put in our life as connected to his greater purposes. But we don't tend to do that. We tend to recognize the blessing and we tend to just say, oh, thank you, that's awesome, my life is so much better now. This is going to be easier and I can do this easier and this is going to be better and this is going to make this better and all these, we, all these different things that we like, whether it's new relationships in our lives or whether it's a, something with our job or whether it's something financial. We, tend to always, we always get inward focused with that. Man, that is the go-to. And what I'm saying is we have to discipline ourselves to say, how does this connect to the greater purpose of God that he wants to involve me in? Thirdly, we have to set our eyes and heart on the nations. If God's heart is to reach the nations, if that's his heart, if all people's is his heart, shouldn't ours be too? He said, well, I've just got a heart for my neighborhood. I meet very few people that have a heart for their neighborhood that don't have a heart for the nations, by the way. And God doesn't want us to have a part of his heart, right? He wants us to have his heart. He wants us to love who he loves. He wants us to reach who he wants us to reach. What's happening in the hearts of people on the other side of the world, people we don't even know the names of, should matter to us because it matters to God and they matter to God. We were saved in part to reach those people. You were. You said, I thought I was just, I wouldn't have to go to hell. Thinking, we're thinking way too small. There's a way bigger plan in view. I love this quote from David Platt, president of the International Mission Board, who you saw in the video at the beginning of the service. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unbeliever this side of hell. Who do we think we are to hoard this gospel? Who do we think we are that we deserve to hear it every stinking Sunday and to do nothing to see to it that someone hears it who's never heard it? I don't mean to be harsh, I don't mean to be cruel, but that is the epitome of selfishness and self-centeredness and thinking the world revolves around you and me. And we're all prone to it, including your pastor. We have to set our eyes on the nations. In fact, Jesus gave us this great commission before ascending to heaven <laughs> in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You want to know what's the mission of North Park? This is the mission of North Park. If you find a new mission uh, for the local church, please share with me what that is. Um, I don't think you'll find it. This is it. We don't have to get real creative with it. This is God's mission for his local church, no matter how we say that. Jesus came and said to them, to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
said, I've got all authority. I'm all powerful. <coughs> I'm the boss of everything in heaven and everything on earth. I'm in charge. I am Lord. I am king. Based on that, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus sandwiches it between his, pow his power, all authority, and his presence. I'll always be with you. He says, you go to all nations. It's easy to drift. To forget the Great Commission. That that's the mission that's been assigned to us as believers and as a church. To make disciples of all nations. Which includes ours. But so much more. That includes your neighbors. Includes Ballin Park. Includes Orlando. And includes Florida. And includes well beyond that. I believe God wants every church and believer focused on both our neighbors and the nations. Our neighbors and the nations. We aren't all called to physically go and plant our lives among, let's say, an unreached people group or a people that has little gospel exposure. God doesn't call every believer to just pick up their life and go there. We need believers everywhere. I get that. But we could all participate. And he does call probably more than have been willing to go. He does call some. And we all need to be willing to ask the question of, would he call me? At whatever stage I'm life in it, I'm in. To go. For permanently? For two years? For five years? My retirement years? What do you call me? I don't know. Are we even willing to ask the question? But beyond that, we can all participate by praying, by giving, by encouraging. North Park has a long history of supporting global mission work through the IMB and through the cooperative program. And I praise God for it and it needs to continue. Our Christmas offering is a great way to start. To just say, okay, I'm going to purpose this Christmas season in the middle of all the craziness to focus on the mission of God. And I'm going to ask you, if you're a North Park member, would you pray over the next week or so and ask God, what would you have us leverage out of our material blessings this year towards the spiritual blessing of the nations? Just what would it be? And it would probably be different for everybody. It probably should be different for everybody. But would you at least pray that prayer? And if God says nothing, by all means, give nothing. If you can at peace do that, but I, I really I want to urge you past that to say, I'm willing to bet that we can all give something. And some can give more than others. But we can all give something. We can all leverage something of our material blessings towards the spiritual blessing of the nation on top of what we already do. I'm not talking about changing the name that you put on the check. That's rearranging. That's not sacrificial giving. Praise God for those who give at North Park. We can't keep the lights on without you. But I'm talking about above and beyond what we normally do. What would God have us do this Christmas season towards this offering? Pray about it. Between now and the end of the year, what would God have you do? Jesus laid down his life for the nations. For people in every tribe and every tongue. To purchase for God a people for his own possession. A people for his own glory. He literally laid down his life. And as those who have benefited supremely from the ultimate sacrifice 
from the ultimate sacrificial offering, shouldn't we seek to give generously towards God's work? Yes, at all times. And even in special moments like these. Now, if you're here today, I know it's been very focused on those who know Christ and have experienced the blessing that is Christ. If you don't know God today through Christ Jesus, if you read Psalm 67 and it doesn't resonate with you, worship and praise and joy in God and the mission of God and it just all rings hollow to you, I want you to know today that he is worthy of your worship too. That he's a gracious God and a just judge and an awesome king. And people right here in this room need the gospel as every bit as much as the people in the unreached people groups of the world. He's worthy of your praise. And you can be glad in him. And you too should revere him. And so I would ask you this morning, have you experienced his saving power? Have you experienced his saving power? It's only found in Jesus who laid down his life for you and I to purchase for God a people. Who died in our place, bearing the penalty for our sins. Dying literally to take our sins away. To make us clean before God. Rising from the dead in victory as a victorious, conquering king who will return. Have you personally put your faith and trust in that conquering king, in the risen Lord Jesus Christ? Is your hope set on him? Is your joy found in him? Is he the one you're following? If not, I invite you today. I invite you today to trust him. To turn from your sin and embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray.